Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or visit valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And lastly, no matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it, even if you apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean Hack, it's nice to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace, and uh, this week's no different. Sean's here from Boca Raton, Florida. Frosty Boca Raton, Florida. It's horrible down there, Sean. I don't know how you're, know how you're living with yourself. I, 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 this morning, I had the fire on outside. I had my hot cup of coffee, and steam came out because it was so cold out here down look here. Look out, man. Look out. You should I just want humidity coming up from the grass? or It's probably the humidity because it was a little rain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it made me feel like it was cold, yeah. you know? Yep, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, Sean is... Uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on. You know, the, the weather events that you've talked about here in January, uh, your last podcast and last uh, um, uh, newsletter that you put out kind of broke that down a little bit. You're talking about, you know, January being one of the coldest Januaries in the 2000s, and uh, it, it's shaping to be up that very much to be that way. So I guess talk about that a little bit, what we see happening there. we still got this pretty um, sustainable drought down in uh, Brazil. They're, they're chopping back their uh, forecasts and those kind of things. So I guess kind of talk about this weather thing and, and what you see happening right now. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the cold pattern that we thought was, was going to start in December, you know, starting it started early January. And when we look at population-weighted heating degree days, we are looking at 
at least the top three coldest January, but it looks to us like it could be the coldest January of the 2000s. January 2014 was the hot coldest January we've had um, in the 2000s, but this one looks like it's going to break it. Um, it could break it solidly, and, and it does look like our long-term work and cycles are suggesting that this pattern looks pretty entrenched and that it will, this is going to carry over into February and, and this, this persistent cold winter pattern that we had been forecasting and, and, and suggesting for a while, although it started a little late, is in full swing. And, um, and we do think that uh, you know, the implications for late uh, spring frost this year in the U.S., are going to be elevated, and then of course that creates all kinds of issues for uh, the planting season, for the winter wheat crop coming out of dormancy, and all kinds of other issues that we think are going to be uh, potentially large movers for grain markets as we move into the planting season. So all this is on message. As I said, it took a little longer to develop, but it does look like we're clearly in it, and um, and we really don't see this these trends going away. And natural gas, I think, is starting to make a move now starting to get the chart pattern to turn up and it looks to me that uh, you know we can start getting some some natural gas prices starting to uh, worry again that uh, our supplies may uh, may get too low here as we move into the spring in terms of the dry weather if you really think this through they're harvesting they're starting to harvest soybeans now in Brazil um, not everywhere you know they plant them at different times but they're starting to harvest and I and I pretty much think that we've priced in uh, the first crop soybeans and the first crop corn and the prices. I don't. I really don't think you could hurt the crop anymore in the south. And we know the north and the west is pretty good. Um, so I think we've priced it in. Of course, what we haven't priced in, they're just finishing up planting now. Is Argentina? You know, we have a long way to go to price all of that in, Casey. And so, uh, you know, we've had a lot of dry weather. We've had some. We're going to have some record heat this week. We are going to get a little uh, wobble, a little reprieve, a little moisture coming in later this month doesn't look like anything more than a transitory pattern we go right back to the to the hot dry pattern in february so you know we think that the the weather market from here is going to be generated out of argentina but we might take a pause or take a step back um for the next few weeks while the market checks out and sees how much of these rains actually deliver usually in droughts casey the rains are forecasted and they under deliver they're forecasted and they under deliver we have a suspicion these range will come, but we think they may underperform right now what many are thinking. But but nonetheless, it's a reason for the market to maybe pause. And maybe some of the correction yesterday was the market saying, maybe we've done enough for now. Let's take a step back and take a breather. And let's take a look at how this plays out. We have a USDA report today. Um, I don't really think the USDA is going to make a whole lot of changes in yield and, uh, you know, South America, we already have analysts that have lowered the soybean crop from 144 down to 134. I don't believe the USDA is going to go down that low. That's not the way they operate. They're going to, they might move down some, but I don't see them providing a more bullish report than, we, than some of these estimates that have already come out. If, I, if there was to be a surprise, it would be the quarterly grains stock report. That would be the report that I would be looking for today to potentially have a surprise. If the USDA loves to take all their mistakes of the past and fix them in quarterly grain stocks, either up or down, whichever way they made a mistake. So uh, if, if there was going to be a surprise that's going to move the market today, I would pay attention to the quarterly grain stocks. We might find 
that we might, especially in the corn market, we might find that they, they, they don't see as many bushels of corn that the market's anticipating. That would be where I would be looking for kind of a, a surprise or something that the market might, might, might find as a reason to be, uh, you know, to move the markets violently today. Everything else, I don't really see much of a, a reason for the markets to move. So, wow. okay. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my next question was talking about the, uh, about the report that comes out today and what your thoughts there were. And it, and it, it sounds like, um, I mean, the USDA has done a good job up to some, in some aspects here that of kind of, kind of keeping things kind of balanced along more, more than done in the past. You know, like look back at 19 and 20, they made some horrible mistakes and, and, and corrected yep. them all in one time. And, you know, you had $3 corn jump up to 550 corn. And, you know, next thing you know, bam, you're, you're in this huge swing and, it just doesn't feel like they're going to have that. I don't know that 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 catalyst, I guess, to do that. They, now, do you think they could look at some of the yield reports and say, you know, we're one seventy whatever, and we're going to be down to one seventy four? You know, is something like that where they had a a two bushel move on that, or do you feel like it's going to be kind of keep you know par for the course here? I they don't typically like to make a big big change on yield because that would say that they really screwed up. Right. You know. Uh, They'll ch they'll make that change in the quarterly grains, so they'll okay. You know, we we couldn't find three hundred million bushels of corn. We don't know where it went. We, the demand's better than we thought. They'll they'll always use the residual that residual in the quarterly grain stocks, which is we don't know why the number that why the bushels aren't there, but they're not there, and so we're going to adjust all our numbers. But they rarely are going to admit that they're. I mean, anything's possible, Casey, but I doubt after sticking their neck out and saying 177 is the number in the last report, they're going to come out and say, you know what? We totally missed it. It's 174. I think they'll make an adjustment in the quarterly grains, either on this one mm -hmm. or in the March report, uh, where they'll just say, you know what? There's 400 million bushels. Where did it go? I don't, we, uh, uh, ethanol demand, whatever. And exports were strong. We don't know, but we missed it. I think that's where it's going to, typically that's where it shows up because it's easier to hide that number and where they don't have to admit that they made a mistake than to say, yeah, we messed this up. It's 174, and get all kinds of criticism. Well, how, how could you have been so wrong in the last report? If this is what you, you, know, you should have known that in the last report, how come you saw it now? You know, all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's jump over and let's talk about um, what's going on. Okay, we hit on Brazil a little bit. Talk about that dryness down there. That's kind of old. You know, there's nothing really new there to update. It's it's well, it's continuing to get worse. So it's just one of those things where. That that crop is uh, still, still you know you got to pay attention to what's going on down there because of the situation that we're in in, in stocks around the world. But um, as you take a look at what's going on with some of the stuff you see in um, just the markets as a whole, you know, let's kind of talk about that for a minute. You know, the last two or three weeks, you've watched you know corn sell off, you've watched wheat sell off, you've watched soybeans sell off, and you know yesterday everything kind of sort of soybeans especially came swing you know screaming back what what is is this is this one of those positioning mechanisms of sorts kind of getting ready ahead of this this usd airport that's coming out or is there is there some bigger underlying factor i mean we've talked about some geopolitical things and those kind of things that are out there in play but there's a three or four week sell-off here that we've seen where every week has just been getting smashed so i guess what what do you what's your thoughts on the overall market and the movements we're seeing well, the market's trying to determine, are last year's trends going to continue? Are they going to change? Or are some, are some going to continue 
I was trying to figure out how we make money this year. We're talking about speculative capital. How are we make money this year? You know, in, in agriculture, in the commodity markets. You know, is this inflation going to accelerate? Is it going to have deflation? The Federal Reserve, you know, geopolitical. There's a lot of moving pieces, as you said, Casey. And, and I'm just trying to determine how to position, how we make money this year. It could be exactly the same way you made money last year, or it could be t- totally different. But what we're looking at, um, we look at overall commodities, and we have marginally broke out as a whole to all-time new highs, higher than we were in 2011, which set the all-time high for overall commodities. Uh, marginally broken. Uh, so that either means we're off to the races and we're going to have another big inflationary move in overall commodities, or we're going to have a failed breakout and then turn back down. And we have the market hasn't decided yet. So that's some of that back and forth action we've been seeing. Now, if you look at the agricultural commodity, cash commodity index that we follow, we have not broken out to all-time highs. We're, we're, pre- we're just below. So, so we would want to see agriculture break out to all-time new highs and confirm the breakout in overall commodities. Um, the other thing that we know has been highly correlated to ag markets has been the Brazilian real. When the Brazilian real rallies, it tends to light a fire under the market and tends to be a, a big bullish force to move ag markets substantially higher because of the higher inflationary price translation effect of pricing a higher real in U.S. dollars. Um, and the real looks to us, it's been basing, it's been basing, and, and it could it, we think it potentially could turn up and have a technical breakout. It has not done it yet, but if we get a technical breakout of the real, that would be an additional sign uh, you know that 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 we're going to be entering a melt-up phase. The last thing, Casey, and something we've been watching for a while is that the open interest in overall commodities. We follow 28 different commodities, and we follow the open interest. Typically, when markets rise, open interest rises. That means capital is coming in, speculators are getting long, commercial. You know, you're getting an increased interest, and when markets fall, the open interest declines. We had seen a big decline in open interest over the last couple of months when Omicron started to come out and be a problem. Uh, but all of a sudden here in the last two weeks, open interest has started to surge again. This could be an early sign that the capital is getting ready to flow back in and it's deciding that Omicron's not going to be a problem. And if that's the trend that and that continues, that would be another sign that would push us to thinking we're going to have maybe a melt up here in the first quarter into the second quarter. So it's still, I, I, the way we've said it in our report yesterday, Casey, we were at red light before. I'm a crime. We're not really sure what's happening. I think we've moved to the yellow light, meaning, you know, not full, you know, we're not sure yet, but we're, we're, we're feeling like the red light is softening, but we're not quite at the green light that says it's all systems go. But we'll be looking for all these indicators we just mentioned throughout the month of January to see if we, you know, which way this is going to tip the scales. Right now, the trends are moving towards a surge higher in, or are we calling a melt-up phase to occur? That's the odds are starting to move in that favor. And if that's the case, you know, then we have a lot of agricultural inflation ahead of us, which, of course, Mother Nature would have a lot to do with, which geopolitics would have a lot to do with, and, and of course, the ongoing 
logistical problems that the ongoing restrictions from the virus continue to cause. So, so it's an interesting time to get this big trend right. But right now, we think the odds favor higher prices um, from what we're seeing early on here in January. Yeah. Well, things are that gap. You know, after yesterday, I kind of see that thing starting to make the swing. You know, it kind of made that turn a little bit of of uh, not just getting pummeled. <laughs> Actually, turned around the other way. Uh, let's jump down to talk about what's going on in the protein markets. Um, wholesale beef prices have been um, they've been strengthening, but man, they've been they've been back and forth. They had uh, got beat up pretty good right there about Thanksgiving time, and they've kind of made their way back. And of course, a lot of that's coming back to Omicron deal. But I mean, I guess as you take a look at what's going on in in the beef market, what are your thoughts there? I mean. I try to be very simple about this. Unless we're going to have another round of herd liquidation in 2022, which would really come from another drought, mm -hmm. uh, which we do not see, um, at least not into the middle of the summer. We don't see, you know, we, we, we see the exact opposite. We see actually more flooding issues and things. Um, and, and we see better moisture out west, better hay production, you know, just better go of it. Um, then we're not, we don't have enough animals. Casey, we don't have enough animals. Our, our animals are down. They're going to be down. Production is going to be down. Um, and that means that the packing house problem of throughput problem is going to be off the table. And they're going to have to bid up those animals to bring the animals through um, with ongoing demand being strong for beef. So we're pretty constructive that that's, you know, of course, if we have a big time recession, you know, stock market crash, th those things can always change things. But unless we have something extreme, we think the cattle market looks pretty good. As we've said in the hog market, and we showed a chart on this yesterday's report, um, you know, exports, net exports for, for, uh, for pork is just way, way, way down compared to the last five years uh, because of the loss of Chinese demand. It's just very, very hard to see how hog prices can rally substantially without getting Chinese demand back. Even though animals... In the U.S., pigs are down, and the animals are on the lower side. It still doesn't compensate, Casey, from having that lost Chinese demand. We need to get Chinese demand back, which we see coming in from the second quarter onward when they start rebuilding the herd and mm -hmm. they start entering that next meat-protein deficit. So we're wildly, wildly bullish, the hog market, from spring onward. But, have a, but we think it's more of a choppy, sideways trade, consolidating, base-building kind of a market. That every time it falls too low, the lack of animals keeps a bid in the market. Every time it gets too high, the lack of Chinese demand puts a cap on the market. So it's, we think it's kind of a dull, boring market for now. Um, but we would be getting, we would get a lot more interest in this market as we get to the second quarter. Yep. So. Yep. All right, Sean, hey, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our uh, website is Hackett, H A. C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Plenty of things on there to tell people what we do to see if we could be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thank you, Casey. Always uh, a pleasure, and I will, uh, you know, I'll text you from North Dakota when I, when I speak there. Yeah. <laughs> North Dakota in February. I'll tell you what, man. You couldn't have picked a better place to be. I'll tell you right now. That's gonna... Happy times. Happy times. Happy times. That's right, man. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with the Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com for the, all the blogs, posts I have, all the you know 
all the library of the Moving Iron podcast, as well as uh, all the information from Moving Iron, the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. That'll be September 6th, 7th, and 8th. Sean will be there and uh, probably won't be um, like, you know, southwest North Dakota in February, weather-wise, but it's it'll be uh, it'll be steamy Nashville in September. So check that out. So if you're interested in doing that, hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast and MovingIronPodcast.com. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here